Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is the co-founder of Southern Energy Management. In 2001, he started this company with his wife, Maria, and he now serves as a CEO for the past 20 years. With 32 years of experience in sustainable energy, he is an industry veteran who understands what drives long-term success in the rapidly growing and constantly evolving field. Prior to forming SEM, he was part of the founding team of Burt's Bees in North Carolina. He was a director of manufacturing and was instrumental in sustaining Burt's Bees' exponential growth from a million-dollar niche business into a $60 million world-class natural cosmetics manufacturing company. Prior to his work at Burt's Bees, he got his initial start in the solar energy industry where he worked as a solar installer, designer, and fabricator. In other words, he started from the bottom up. As a North Carolina state graduate, he has a degree in mechanical engineering with a focus on solar energy. He's a member of the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association and a member of the Sustainable Energy Community in North Carolina and the Southeast. Full disclosure here, Southern Energy Management will be installing my solar energy packet on my roof here in a few weeks. And there's no deal going on here between me and Bob Kennerly, the CEO of Southern Energy. But I'll explain that as we, as we get along. Bob, welcome to Leading from the Front. Thank you, Dr. Gary. Yeah, that was an added bonus when you said we were putting a solar system on your house. So that's great to hear. Yeah, you didn't even know that, did you? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's great. I'd forgotten about it too until today when you reminded me again. So thank you. Yeah, it's uh, we've gotten up to hundreds of customers a year and I have a hard time keeping them all in my head at this point, which is a good thing. More impact is great. That is a good thing. And I just want to say, so why Bob? Why did I have Bob on my leadership program? It's because of the reflection. And we're going to talk about his employees because every single employee that I was engaged with that either came to my house or on the phone had the same attitude, the same approach that I know that Bob and Maria stand for in their company. And that's why with one of your texts, Bob, I said to him, this is amazing. You're the third person I've talked to and I keep getting the same message. It's really awesome. Why are you like this? Why are you all like this? And he said, this is our company culture. This is the way we are. And he said, in fact, why don't you call Bob? He's referring to you, the CEO, right? Why don't you call Bob and tell him that you need to talk to him about leadership? I'm like, I'm going to do that. So I've got a tech telling me to call the CEO and I called you up and here we are. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, it's we've been in business for quite a while and my wife and I are both have one of the oars here for our culture. And that was the key to starting our company. We wanted to start a company that we would be proud to work for and work with. And we call of our employees, we call team members intentionally. And culture is a big part of how we try to educate and it's how we hire and how we fire. And so, yeah, love to so talk let's, more about You know, yeah, let's go back into history because what I've found is anybody that really gets engaged in a culture like this, either experienced a culture that they wanted to emulate or cultures that they, or both, they cultures that they didn't want to be part of. 
tell me a little bit about your background and experience and what are some of the things that you learned along the way that have crafted this idea of, well, you run a B Corp and a lot of people don't know what a B Corp is. You want to start with that and then go backwards? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So we are a B Corp. There's thousands of them across the world. I think it's about 5,000 now, roughly in 2021, roughly. It is a certification that you go through and it's a long checklist of like, how do you treat your team members? How do you treat your partners outside? And in the end, you get a certification with different rankings around people, planet, and profit. So it's standardizing scores, and then you can compare yourself to other companies that are also interested in sustainability, really, at the core of this. And you also share best practices. So it's a community as well as a scoring system. And with that, we found that it's really great to attract the right team members. You know, our certification and our B Corp values is one of the anchors of our whole company. And when we start talking to people and interviewing people to become team members, people will often say, you guys are a B Corp and that's important to me. And it's one of these ways to really know quickly that we have a lot of shared values, which we found is really one of the best markers of what's going to take for someone to be one of the very best of SEM's team members is, you know, we share these core values. And um, when you're interviewing, B Corp is a big deal. Customers align with it as well, but we find that it's really more most valuable uh, internally to talk to our team and uh, for the benchmarking and the associated networking and the the um, community that's established around B Corp and B Lab has been phenomenal as well. So um, my wife, Maria, was one of the was the person that pulled that uh, pulled that one and said, this is something we really need to do. That was 10 years ago when there were a lot of other certifications vying for the space. B-Lab has um, really emerged as one of the best and the most consistent ones over time. So we're real proud of that. And uh, and it resonates and it's easy to talk about it because it means something versus sort of just you get a sticker for something that doesn't really mean anything. You get audited every few years and they check your score pretty tightly. And uh, um, and it's it's really a, you know, a gold standard for a um, for a certification in our mind. Yeah. So there's two things that you said that that come to mind as you talk about it. Number one is uh, really trying to create the value system and the expectation of the type of culture that you want to have. And then to actually have a way of evaluating that, hold yourself accountable. But the accountability is from the inside. It doesn't matter what it looks like to the outside. You know, that's a, that's a nice product of it. But let's face it. And we talk about leadership is all about inside out development. You know, in order for you to be a, uh, have an organization with a great culture and demonstrating leadership, you have to be a leader. You have to demonstrate that role model. And then it goes from the inside. You and Maria demonstrate that kind of leadership, and then it becomes part of the culture and the corporation. And then your customers feel it. And that, that's actually why you and I are talking today, because I yeah. became a customer of yours because of your techs on the ground. And they're living this, and it's very exciting. So it's an inside-out yeah. thing, and you've obviously used this as a foundation to build the culture for hiring and keeping the right people. Yeah. And also for, for letting the wrong people go for the right reasons. So, you know, we're, um, we're big fans of, um, we use the system called Pinnacle um, now, which is a business management system. And we have used the system called EOS for, for, uh, you know, 10 years almost now as well. And EOS has the, uh, I remember that one better than the Pinnacles nomenclature. There's very, they're similar, but the nomenclature I'm not, completely schooled up on yet and right people right seats 
So you have a right person as someone that agrees with your core values and they believe in what the company believes in and the vision of where we're going. They share that. Um, but, but then right seat means like they have the skill set to do the things that are needed to be done. And so um, person can be a mismatch on either side. We had a recent individual who we took from a field tech position and moved them inside to help us with some paperwork and permitting and web portals and such. And um, they struggled, and it was real easy to say to them and say, "Look, um, look, you're the you're the right person for this company, but this isn't the right seat for you." And, and so that that's it. Really, just separates the two from it. And then, secondly, like we have meetings where we do all team meetings or town halls with the whole company, and we say and say, "If you're not, if this if this doesn't resonate with you, if our vision and our core values doesn't resonate with you." look, there's no, there's nothing right or wrong about them. It's just, they are what they are. And we believe in these. And if you thought, if this doesn't resonate with you and like, you don't get excited about it and you want to talk at Thanksgiving with your family about this kind of thing, then this maybe, maybe this isn't the right company for you. And so there's lots of people that that's the case where they, they come in here and they think it's going to be great. And then they realize, you know, I'm really not so excited about the reduction in carbon. That isn't really where my head, I don't think about that every weekend and it's not important to my family and me personally. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Let's find a way for you to find a job that you do get that out of it because we truly believe that there's a place for everybody to go after what they're, in America, there's a place for people to go after what they're passionate and what their beliefs are. Um, and uh, we try to find the people that match up with that with us are the ones that tend to go the farthest. Yeah, so let let's back up into history a little bit and talk about how this is all this all came to came to your your being. Okay, so we go back into history and talk about Bob when he's like in his twenties and thirties. What were you doing? And you know, you said that you were an installer, designer, and fabricator in, in in solar. So you started very early on. I think that was like in the late eighties, early nineties, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I uh, I came to college in 85, uh, grew up in North Carolina from Charlotte and came to NC State in Raleigh in 1985. And I was in college for six years, took a took a year off to travel with my uh, with my girlfriend, then Maria, now my wife, um, lived in a van for quite a few months and also took a lot of jobs. I, I worked my way through college and, and left college without any debt because I worked a good, almost a solid full work week every week in college, as well as taking college classes. And I got to work in a variety of industries. I worked on cars for a long time. That was what I did in high school, bought and sold cars and worked on cars. And But I got a job in the solar industry through a, through a friend, and I really liked it. It was a good match between some technical expertise, some hands-on work, which I like to work with my hands quite a bit. Um, and then also really the thing about it that as I've thought about this over the years, it's the community of people that were involved in this renewable energy industry back 35, 37 years ago, 38 years ago now, um, were all people, I'm still close friends with a number of them and see some of them as my mentors and, and people that taught me things. So the community itself was filled with people who we shared this environmental ethic and this sort of core value of like wanting to improve the planet in one way or another. And I just got drawn into it and I, and, uh, I left that for a while and worked for a company called Burt's Bees, which also sort of met this environmental ethic for us, for me personally. Um, I worked there for about 10 years and uh, was my hard work was rewarded um, well. Um, and when I worked my way up to being a leader of about 180 people on the um, manufacturing side for a cosmetic company, Burt's Bees, 
And uh, the owner really gave me a chance. The owners at that time gave me a real shot at growing because they saw that I was hardworking. They valued that. They saw that I shared their environmental ethic and I, they valued that. And they gave me lots of opportunity for growth. And so as opportunity for growth kept going, I kept chewing it up and swallowing it and, uh, and ended up in a position in a overseeing the whole side of manufacturing, um, which was exciting and scary and fast growing and, and all those things. So I learned a lot about leadership through that. Yeah. So if you go, if you go back into those early years with the solar companies, with Burt Bees and um, what, what are some of the experiences that you had back then that have crafted your leadership philosophy today and the, the way you build your, uh, your culture and take care of your people at Southern Energy? Yeah. You know, so Dr. Gary, it's really as much what you choose not to do in your own, when you get to do your own, Marie and I are both very independent people. And, uh, after working in the solar industry for quite a while, and it was really sort of a dying industry at that time in the late eighties, very few people were actually making any money. Um, so when all of my friends graduated college, they got engineering jobs and I became, I started to weld solar tanks for a living. And my mom asked me why it took six years to become an engineer and why would I want to become a, why would I want to be a welder after that? And I told her that I needed to learn all of the things that were important under the engineering hurdle, uh, under the engineering umbrella to really understand those well enough. But that, but that being the case, I think it was, you know, I learned that, uh, values make a difference and that if you're aligned with values with other people, you can work towards a common goal. I learned that in the both Burt's Bees and I also learned that through the solar industry as well, that 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 was important when I when you, you had a lot of respect for someone who sat across the table or sat across the contract side of it to to work towards a common goal. And um, did you have a, did you have a mentor or a coach back then in those early years that kind of helped you open your eyes to this stuff? Yeah, yeah, I did. Larry Grossclose was a was a mentor and a coach and a and a and an unbelievable friend of our families. Uh, Larry came. Larry worked in the cosmetic industry, and until he was hired at uh, he was hired at Burt's Bees to be my boss. Um, at a time where we were continuing to grow and the, and the leaders recognized like it was going to be really hard for me to go from sort of where we are in the small to a midsize or larger company. And they hired Larry. Larry had experience running large cosmetic companies. Uh, he ran Almay and then divisions of Revlon where thousands of people worked with him. Um, and he came in three to four days a week to help lead the team. And he taught me a lot of things. He taught me about how you know, he and one of his close friends who you're still close with, like they would have knockdown, drag out fights about work things where they disagreed. And like at the end of that, they would go have a drink together and everything would be OK. He taught me how to separate the person from the issue or the behavior or the issue like, you know. And so that was one of the main things he taught me. And he also taught me that um, you needed to be fair across all aspects. I mean, one of the things where. I had an unfortunate situation where I had to fire someone that was a friend of mine from Burt's Bees when his behavior, he, he, he took advantage of something and, and it was sort of out of bounds from an um, ethical perspective. And, I, and, and Larry just made it really clear. He asked me all these questions that made it clear that I really didn't, there was no choice to be had here. Like I would do what was right no matter what this person was. So treating people the fairly and equitably, he taught me that as well. That must have been a that must have been a tough decision for you back then, though. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I was pretty young at that time in a lot of ways, and uh, from a leadership perspective, I was very green and young, and uh, it was hard. And, uh, and 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 like it was, he was he was tied up in our social group, 
So, uh, like, his you remember wife that really day when that. you had to do this? I mean, do you remember yeah, what that I do. was? I remember it completely. And uh, and there was a piece of paper on my desk that had salaries, and and he had been in my de- in my office looking for something, and he mm-hmm. saw the salaries, and they told other people what their salaries were, and it was like just so out of line with what you would want to do mm-hmm. in a work environment. But I do remember the day that I let him go, and uh, he didn't really think he should have gotten fired. He thought the opposite, and he thought that we were friends, and. Uh, but but Larry had taught me like that wasn't what friendship wasn't. That's not what friendship was about. Friendship wasn't about protecting a friend when he did something really wrong in a business environment. Friendship was about, you know, treating a friend with trust and honesty. And like I deserved that from him as well. So that was a tough day. And for years, that ramifications of that were affected our social of our social aspects of our social lives. But uh, but I wouldn't do it differently now. Knowing what I know now, I challenge yeah, I challenge my leaders to do the same thing. Yeah, as parents, Bob, we call it tough love, and yeah. at Staterius, we call it compassionate accountability. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Compassionate accountability is good. I like it, that. Yeah, it's hard to uh, it, it's those tough decisions we have to make sometimes, but we have to realize that in in some situations as leaders, it has to be done for the betterment of everybody else in the organization, and. If there's a value in an organization that says, you know, we're going to be honest, we're going to have integrity, we're going to do these things, and somebody really violates that and then is is going to argue with you about the value, then obviously I think, like you said, you people get self-selected, you know, whether their values are consistent with the values of the organization or not. They, they either are um, uh, let go because it's recognized or they let themselves go and, and leave because they don't, they're not comfortable in that environment. They're not comfortable in that culture. You know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but like we encourage people to, if, you, if this isn't your thing, like we want you, yeah. we want you to leave because yeah. you deserve the chance to find something that you do feel like excited about is, you know, there may not be that way in the world, everywhere in the world, but in America now, if you're intelligent and hardworking, you have a really good shot of becoming the work and something that you're passionate about is my opinion. It's not everybody, but it's, but it's many. And um, if it's not your thing, there's nothing wrong with that. Like we had people, we had someone live all, we had a great all team meeting a few years ago. Someone at the, at the next day they gave their notice. And I was like, why'd you get, why are you giving your notice? I mean, you're great. You're doing your guy. And she's like, I, I don't love my job. I'm, I'm leaving the accounting field and I'm going to become a cosmetologist. <laughs> Yeah. You guys talking about how much you love what you're doing. I'm sitting there thinking, I don't really love this. What am I? What am I doing in this room with all these people that are cheering and yelling about social, sustainable energy and renewable energy? She's like, I think about cosmetology and I read magazines and articles all day. So like, she left and we like cheered her on. We we're like, this is unbelievable. You you're gonna you're gonna do great things. Get get to where you want to where you, something you have some passion or love or desire to learn about. Any of those things. Um, or, or great reasons to leave our organization. And we encourage that in, in many ways because we want people who believe in what we believe here. And if you don't, you don't need to fake it. Just, you know, find, find, where, find where you can get that. Yeah, so really you're, you're role modeling leadership in its, in its essence, you know, by, by saying these, this is the mission, this is the vision, and these are the values we're going to follow. And um, we're going to encourage people to follow them and, if that encouragement isn't enough to get you to follow them, we'll find other ways to have you be part of the team or not part of the team. I love what you said earlier about um, uh, right person, right seat. Yeah. And and when we hire, of course, the hardest part of, of hiring quite often is hiring for values. 
And that's why one of the things that uh, the work that we do at Stateris is we actually teach companies how to do value-based interviews. And if you can do a value-based interview, and I think that we talked about this when we talked before, you have some assessments that kind of give you some insight um, into people. But when you find people with the right values, the right person, but they're not, they don't have the competencies. And you, you said you move somebody from one job to another. Um, I've got clients that'll move them to three or four jobs if you can, if you've got the, the capacity and try them because it, isn't it hard to find people with the right values? Yeah, it's a, um, you know, we're, we're right in the middle of the, the great resignation as they're calling it, which we find interesting. We, we've, we're kind of a, as a B Corp and is like really being crystal clear about our values and our values, you know, the mission and vision of our company is revolves around changing the way people make and use energy. And, and, and in that, it's a direct correlation with a reduction in carbon intensity for energy on the planet. And so that's a direct correlation with helping to sort of save the planet from global warming, direct direct correlations to all of those. And we don't find it's difficult to find young or, or older people that are interested in that mission and vision. I, I frequently will say, like, if I was managing a Cold Stone Creamery, it would be hard to find people who were passionate about mixing ice cream. Like, that seems like a really hard job. So I think we've drawn a relatively easy card when it comes to motivating people around our mission, vision, and our values. Um, and that being the case, it's 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 still difficult um and finding the right person is really the, the as big a challenge as finding somebody who's interested in it and you know it takes a lot of time money and energy to train somebody and six months later if they don't succeed there's the money that you've spent when you really look to analyzing it is is immense so um how do you get that right person through the interview process and we're spending more time in the last couple of years really defining like multiple people in the interview process, multiple interview stages, even for relatively entry level jobs, because the cost and the pain of a failure is often a lot higher than you think it is. It's not just what you see on the paper. It's all well, the training. I can, I can tell you what the cost is. It's 1.5 to 4.5 times their salary, depending on the level of the organization, the impact that they can have. An entry level person costs you, you, you hire a $40,000 person, it's going to, you have to replace them after six months. There's a $60,000 cost minimum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Minimum. So like more, more people in the interviews, more, yep. more questions around core values, you know, more, you know, I'm, I'm a decent interviewee, but I recognize I'm not the best at picking the right ones out because you, you look at after you picked a superstar and you're like, well, what, 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 what was on that? What was, what, what made them the superstar? And so we've been having conversations with our leadership team, uh, which we call our guidance team on our company, um, about how do we find, you know, we, we just had an annual planning and we were like, how do we find people that look like, here's four people that are superstars on our team. How do, what, what was different about them when we interviewed or what did they show us differently to help us? And so it's not easy to pick those out, but we're working hard to try to make sure that we're figuring that out. And a lot of questions around culture. And then usually in an interview, I find that it's the, second or the third follow-up question where you're kind of putting them on the spot to some degree. You're not just accepting like, oh, what's your greatest challenge in life? Someone who says they don't have any challenges or have never had, what's your biggest regret or mistake in life? Someone who doesn't have one of those likely is not the best person for the job because the person that shows up and really like lays out, well, I screwed this up and here's what I did differently. And 
yeah, there's a number of ways, but the, the, the second the and third example, layer questions. The, yeah. yeah, Bob, the example you just used, though, is so extremely important when you talk about somebody having the vulnerability to be able to admit mistakes. And in yeah. your culture already from I, – I don't know your people that well. I've only spent a like sum total of maybe 20 minutes with some of your people. But the feeling that I got, the feeling that I got from, from, these, uh, from these people was one where I wanted to do business with your company just because of that. And, it, and it, it's the sincerity of it. So it's not just having an environmental ethic. It's not just I want to, you know, go take it. You know, I'm sitting here listening to you go down. I'm, you know, my carbon footprint's going to go down. I'm saving the earth, global warming. I thought... I was getting solar energy to simply lower my electric bill. Okay. That's what I thought I was doing. As I get older and I retire, I want to have a consistent bill that I don't have to worry about, which is a byproduct of a lot of things. But when you put it in terms of a vision, and that's really what you're talking about is, is that that vision of, of uh, taking care of the planet uh, that makes it a lot more visceral and, and, and big. And when we talk about, uh, in leadership, the multi-generational um, uh, organizations that we have now, we've got for the first time in history, five generations working in companies and talking about, I, I love this. Is it, well, millennials, they want a purpose. They want a sense of purpose. And I'm like, that's bull. We all want a sense of purpose. Yeah. It's not just this age group. We want to be part of something. So you're looking for people that are part of something. And like you said, it's a little bit easier because of, you know, having that environmental focus. But one of the things that I think you talk about hiring, it's really important. I want to emphasize this because I learned this at Procter and Gamble. I worked for Procter and Gamble and I went through an interviewing process over two days uh, when I came out of the army. And over those two days, I interviewed with seven or eight people. Uh, What I didn't know is at the end of the second day, those seven or eight people get together and they, they talk about Gary. Okay. This is, this was before doctor was in front of my name, Bob. It was a long time ago. So they just talked about it. All right. And and they had what's called a yeah, but hiring policy. Uh, You know, Gary was good. He's got good credentials. I had a good conversation with him, but, and they would have a but. (laughs) Yeah, but. (laughs) Yeah, but. but. If there's a but, you don't get hired. Right. If any one of the seven people say, yeah, but you don't get hired. I mean, because there's, they have to explain why. And quite often it's like, it's just this feeling. I just, you know, I don't know. I, there's something missing. I'm not really sure. I'm not, you know, and I got, yeah, let's go on to the next person. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah, but interview. I like that quite a bit. Yeah. So I think that really resonates with what you're talking about. That's why I was sharing it when you talk about hiring, because somebody can come in and say, oh yeah, I'm all about the environment and I can, you know, I can say all the right words, but it's a feeling you get of sincerity. And that's what I got from all of your people, by the way, that caused me to contact you for this podcast is because of the feeling I got from them in what they were doing every day. And full disclosure, you're probably not going to want to hear this, but uh, two weeks ago, guy shows up at my front door, knocking on the door, eight o'clock in the morning. Is like, uh, I'm sorry, who are you? He says, Oh, I'm from so, uh, Southern Energy. We're put your solar energy on today, and you got to check things out. I go, um, There's a scheduling problem. We haven't got HOA approval yet. 
thought we told, you know, people that. And he goes, oh, I am so sorry. I mean, he was apologizing to me, asking me all kinds of, what can I do to take care of this and that? I'll get a hold of some. You know, we just had somebody that uh, shifted jobs and, you know, our scheduling got messed up. And, you know, but look, I'm, I'm really, I mean, it, people making mistakes never bothers me. It's how they handle it. And I could just yeah. tell Bob from the whole situation, the way it was handled was one where I feel like I'm in good hands and that's what your company stands for. And that's what you and Maria have created. Well, you know, that's really an interesting point. And that's, you know, I've, that makes me feel good to be complimented like that. And, uh, you know, you try to get as many, you try to get every one of those and you recognize you're not going to get all of them. And, uh, you know, when you develop a trust is really not easy because a lot of people have never been in a job where they've recognized a lot of people don't live a life where there's a whole lot of trust in many ways, right? They, they divert attention and they use all types of passive aggressive or victimhood and other things like that, that you can go into personality issues. But a lot of people really have not seen a true environment where you can actually say what you feel and not have as many repercussions. And, uh, it's hard to develop that trust and you've got to be consistent with it. And if you, you can break it in an instant and lose, you can gain a bunch of ground by doing all the right things again and again and again. And as soon as you do one wrong step, it's like you lose 10 spots. You got to do 10 rights to gain a step forward and you mess up and you don't, you do something where someone thinks you lied to them or weren't fair to them for whatever reason. And like you slide 10, 10 spots back. So, um, from a leadership perspective, it's one of the more challenging things to get right all the time. And we frequently will tell our team members, like when you get hired here, it's say like we try hard. And what we really also do, just to what you pointed out, Dr. Gary, is that like when we screw up, how we act is more important than anything else. If I gave a bunch of excuses and didn't tell the truth about it and like whatever it was, then the people know that and, and team members, employees know that as well. Um, and so if you show up with the truth and just tell them you screwed up 90, our opinion is from a company perspective, you gain a lot more than you lose. Yeah. And I, I, I will say that when, uh, when the tech that showed up said, uh, you know, some, there were some shifts in responsibilities and the schedule got messed up. And uh, it, as we say, it's how you say things is not what you say, because there was, there wasn't a, an ounce of blame in that. There wasn't mm -hmm. an ounce of excuse in that. It was just by way of explanation Cause it hit him. He was like, Oh, I know what happened. This is what happened. We're like, Oh, okay, great. You know? So we understand that. And, um, I just think that, uh, seeing that in the organization, um, all the way down to the lowest levels in the organization. Um, and I don't like to think about hierarchy like, like that in terms of high and low, but, uh, throughout the organization at uh, all positions, um, is, uh, it, it's a very, very hard thing to create, you know, how, how do you, what do you think some of the, if you can share some of the struggles and successes that you and Maria have had over the years in trying to create that culture? Yeah. Um, so we went through a spot where we went, you know, no money, no mission is one of the things that we say around here. And so like when we, we became B Corp certified 10 years ago, we were growing fast. The renewable energy industry had a lot of wind in its sails and we expanded rapidly and we made a number of mistakes that put us into some financial challenges. And it was, you know, it was really hard when you went through financial challenges, we ended up selling a lar the largest division of our company to a, uh, to a larger company who wanted a solar utility scale solar division. And it worked out really great for us and really great for them. They got a good deal 
and we got a fair deal. Um, and that was important at the time for us because of the financial pressure that was on our family and our company. And the, you know, there was 175 families associated with that. Um, and, uh, you know, we learned that no money, no mission. Like if you can't find a way to make a profit, you can have all these other great philanthropic ideas and you can want to have healthcare for your whole team and you can want to give unlimited PTO and match your 401k to 5%. But if you can't find a way for this company to be profitable, then sustainability in the long term isn't going to be there. Um, and it was very difficult when we were under severe financial distress to feel like, you know, it was hard to be trans as transparent as we normally were because like the risks were there. Um, and then secondarily, it was hard to sort of look at some of these things that we had taken as our core values and say or our values that we wanted to present to the team. And without any money, you just couldn't do some of those things. So those were both very difficult lessons to learn. Um, and as we've grown again to a similar size, back up to 140 people now, 135 people right now, um, we've made certain that we jumped through some of these profitability gates and we had the money secured and we weren't taking enough. We were we were metering our risk, basically. Yeah. So, you know, when you when you think about the complexity of all that, what you're trying to do as you're moving and you're having financial problems, you know, you're trying to take care of your customers and so on. Did uh, I, I'm I'm gonna imagine I'm thinking that you had some tough decisions to make when you yeah. find yourself uh, and did you ever have to cut uh, cut your workforce because of it? Yeah, we um, we did. There was when there was there was probably six people that were did not find a home on one of those two sides when that deal was made, and a couple of them were close to Maria and I and worked more closely with us, um, and. Uh, those were very difficult decisions to make and it was heartbreaking. And, and, and still, when I look back at the mistakes I've made, um, those are the one those scars are some of the deepest ones because they were right people in right seats. And like by no fault of their own, they ended up without a job. Yeah. Um, so those were some of the very hardest decisions that we've ever made. Yeah. And my guess is that they were also friends of yours and you've gotten to know yeah. them over the years. And yeah. 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 Almost all, all, but all but one or two have, have bridged past the pain that was happened then. And that was a long time ago. So, um, very few, only, only one or two left that would have any, we would have any sort of anything less than very positive things to have when we got together, which, I mean, I accept it. They worked really hard and they ended up with, wasn't really where they, what, what wasn't what came out in the end, what they wanted. So, yeah. So let's finish up today, Bob, with my final question that I always like to ask. Yeah. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back to yourself 25 years ago, what would you write in that letter today to that younger Bob that is maybe in the solar energy, maybe you're working for Burt's Bees, but what would you tell Bob? Yeah, it's a great question, Dr. Gary. Um, I think I would have would tell Bob that uh, run your develop develop your core values and your vision and drive your company from that to start most companies start like we're just gonna we're gonna here to make money and that's the opposite of what's worked well for us when we've really gotten serious about it and if we had clear core values and we had clear leaderships we had clear leadership um, expectations in the beginning and we had a clear path for growth um that would have been something that i think would have been the most valuable for us and i'd say the second so that would be one thing to say like start with your core values your mission and your vision and hire and fire around that 
And secondly, the, you know, the, we, we missed some good advice by a number of our partners, our CPA in particular, had said like, you guys financially are good, but you could be a lot more secure. And um, I think listening to other, when you're, when you're rising and you're making money and you're growing, you feel invincible. And um, for us personally, a protection of more of the financial side would have been smart for us as a company. When we hit rough waters, we didn't have the backup that we needed um, and we could have had that. So that was in respect to making some larger financial mistakes. And the last thing I would say is that, um, you know, we've had a lot of success from hiring from within. So I would also say I'm, I'm answering more than one, obviously, but um we found that you get the right people in the right seats and you give them opportunity to grow. And, and as I reflected on our conversation, thinking about what we're going to talk about today, you know, that was one of the things that at Burt's Bees, like the owners of Burt's Bees, Roxanne Quimby and Burt, Burt himself, Burt Shavitz himself were like, this little, this young Kingery kid, he's smart. Like let him keep doing more and more and more. And in our company, we've had a lot of success with that. And they found that internally we grow people, they get our culture they can take the culture that Maria and I want to be um, permeate around the company. And they're really great at like doing that once they've been here a few years. And so find these people that can take your culture, your core values and, and give them opportunity to continue to lead more and more. Those are those are some of the things that I would write to myself from 25 years ago. Yeah. And then let's write a P.S. because I want it to go directly to Bob, but not to the, yeah. not about the business or about anything. What about Bob? What would you tell Bob? Yeah. What would I tell Bob? Uh, dear Bob. Dear, dear, dear pay Bob. Pay attention dear, to. Yeah, please pay attention to people who have different points of view with, than you have. That's what I would tell myself. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. Something we can always learn yeah. from and try to listen from others. Even if we disagree. The two guys that were fighting that you were describing earlier, right? I have a brother in my life that I get to do that with. He works with me and sometimes we get into it and it's an interesting dynamic because I think when you were talking about trust, what I've learned is trust is not just meeting your word, you know, doing what you say you're going to do, but it's also vulnerability. Yeah. It's the ability to be open enough to be vulnerable. Most importantly with those things that I'm not good at. Yeah. So you're hitting it, uh, Dr. Gary. That's really it. Like I would listen and I would understand we had a different point of view, but I would not internalize their point of view to where it would like sway me completely. And so I would listen and then I would think about it and I would be like, hey, I think I'll listen and understand, but not follow. So it's yeah, when I say listen, it was really the believe that those opinions have a lot of value versus saying you've got it in your own head. Yeah. And I think truly, truly understanding what some of the words that are being conveyed are. And I'll go back to one of my favorite leaders of all time, Abraham Lincoln, that says, I don't like this man very much. I need to spend more time with him. Yeah, exactly. That's a great, a great yeah. articulation of what would have helped me 25 years ago. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. You know, and I do point out that that was written, you know, almost 200 years ago. So he wasn't politically correct by saying, I don't like this person that much, but let's not worry about that. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that amazing? You know, that I find that interesting as well, that we take some of our leadership is coming from people that are 200 years old. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we think of the world as changing so much. Like we can't communicate with a Gen Z or something like that, which I believe like you and I agree on this. None of that makes any sense to me. We're all human beings, but like someone 200 years ago has words that are sage, really smart enough for us to really learn a lot from thinking about them. 
Well, yeah, and you can go back a lot more than just 200 years, as we know. Yeah. And quite frankly, a lot of the leadership principles have never changed. And I talk to people yeah. now when we work with organizations and say, how do I change my style? And I'm like, you don't change your leadership, you change your management. The whole thing with the great resignation and whether you want autonomy or flexibility in the workplace, it's not about leadership, it's about management. How do we want to do this? The leadership part of it is how do we communicate it to people so that they're going to support it. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, Bob, I want to thank you for being a guest today on Leading from the Front. Really appreciate your thoughts, your insights, and uh, the wonderful work that you've been doing at Southern Energy Management with whom I think is behind the scenes doing all the work. That would be Maria. I'm just guessing. <laughs> she leads our team through our... Uh... She leads other leadership teams as well and other companies. So we get a couple of days of the week of Maria with, uh, with us here. And the most impactful thing she's been doing in the last year has been putting together our guidance team, which is about nine people, and then about a dozen people that work in the middle of our company, so to speak, and working with them on leadership skills, people skills, personality dynamics, which leads to often a lot of introspection on yourself and how you show up. And those activities have become the most valuable thing. I think that mirrors a lot of what you do with your clients. And those seem to be making the greatest strides with our company's ability to continue to up grow and to sort of people to have more opportunity. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah. I, I think I'm going to have to take Maria out to have a cup of coffee someday and talk about this whole thing and what she's doing because it's great stuff. She certainly would love that. I know she would. Please do. Well, Bob, thanks so much for being a guest today. Appreciate you sharing your story and sharing with us some of your thoughts and philosophies and good luck and especially good luck, especially good luck with the installation of the solar panels on my house. Yeah, I think that, that one's going to be important. Dr. Gary. I need to figure out what your last name is so I can pin that one out of the group here. So share time. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be good, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. <laughs>